Welcome to Saga Ohio, a podcast by fans and players of Saga, the skirmish manchurs game from Studio Tomahawk. After a three-month layoff, this is episode 35. Today I'm talking to the winner of the Historicon 2023 Saga Tournament, Jenny Torbett. Jenny is one of our regular Saga Ohio players and incidentally my girlfriend. At Historicon, she played her Eastern Princes Army, which is the main one she's been using for a while now. Jenny, welcome to Saga Ohio, and thanks for agreeing to be my guest. Thank you for inviting me. All right, so Jenny, you are that rare person in historical miniatures gaming, a woman who actively plays games, owns armies, and attends conventions. Maybe start off by telling us how you got involved in gaming and then ended up playing Saga. Uh, well, um, years ago when uh, you and I started dating, um, you would occasionally go to your gaming conventions and such and so I wanted to see what that was all about because it sounded like you were having a lot of fun. So I started attending the cons and playing with um, armies that others had loaned me and eventually decided that that was something that I really enjoyed doing. So I got caught up in DBA um, which I eventually built some of my own armies and then after playing DBA for a while our group decided that it was a little bit much we'd been playing it a while and got kind of burnt out um, from there that's about the same time that Saga started building and I tried it out really liked it and so here we are all right uh, so let's let's talk about your recent tournament victory at Historicon 2023. Can you explain to our listeners what the tournament format was? It was odd, if you <laughs> <laughs> quite honestly. I'd never played a tourney like this. Um, the tourney director decided to start off the first game as a four-point game. Uh, the second was a five-point army. And then the third game was a six-point army. Um, the first game, luckily, with just four points, was a straight-on Clash of Warlords. Um, the se uh, second and third games then had various scenarios that we would play. All right, so I imagine the four army points and five army points provide a bit of a challenge. Uh, how did you prepare, both in practice and in thinking, for this tournament? Well, the four-point game was what I was most concerned with. I'd never played a four-point game. I'd only ever played six-point. So the four-point, I was really worried about exactly which units I should take for the best bang for my buck, I guess. Um, so I pared down what I usually do and decided to... Um, stick with what I know. So I usually keep at least one bow levy um, just to try and push back any mounted. So I stuck with my bow and then had to then pare down my hearth guard and warriors 
to fit that four point. After that, I just decided to see what my opponents brought with me. That helped me decide, or rather my opponents bring against me, so I could decide what would work best against what they had. Um, the first game, the four point, I played against a Yom's uh, Viking, and I feel very lucky that that was the four point game um, playing against him because he quickly became dice starved, so he wasn't able to do quite as much damage against me um, with his saga abilities that he could have had he had a lot more dice. Okay. Yeah, I actually ended up playing that same opponent uh, in the six-point game, and uh, it was ridiculous. It was... Um, I'd played Yom's Vikings uh, against them a few times, um, but this was certainly a lot more lethal. Uh, the He was a lot more aggressive, and he used that changing the armor class up and down and then getting two attack dice, two defense dice, each time he did it, and so by the time we rolled around towards rolling the dice, he had so many defense dice, there was nothing I could do to him. He had so many attack dice, he would basically obliterate a unit. So, you know, I, I was thinking, hey, this is this is it. This is game over. There's no way I can, I can fight this. Of course, he was rolling a lot of rares, so that's what did that too, uh, to give him all those abilities. Um, but I guess let's backtrack a little bit. You chose to play your Eastern Prince's army, uh, which you've been playing mostly of late. Uh, why'd you choose them over, say, Vikings? I was actually pretty much on the fence um, which army I was going to play. My other army is just straight-up Vikings, um, which I played for several years before I decided to finally get another army. Um, I was almost had packed my regular Vikings and at the last minute just decided to go with the Eastern Princes because honestly it's an army that a lot of people haven't played against and so there's some mystery I guess um, that people aren't used to playing against it so they're not as used to the um, advanced saga abilities that I have so I was kind of hoping to try and I hate to say pull a fast one, but maybe be a little mysterious when people sat down against me. Yeah, it's it's always an advantage when the opponent has not played against or with uh, the army you're using. So, yeah, I agree that uh, Eastern Princes would have been the way to go. Um, and actually kind of humorously, we we originally at some point thought it was an only Vikings list. So we the one four-point uh, practice game we played here at the house um, – I was playing a four-point Welsh army. Jenny was playing a four-point Vikings army. Uh, and after we finished the, the game, we were sitting there the night before and looking at it. And we said, wait a minute. It says Vikings or Crusades. And uh, I'm like, well, heck, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something else. And so I decided to break out my moors. And uh, that was when Jenny also decided to go go with her Eastern Princes, which she played a lot more of recent. So, And she'd been really successful with them. So... Speaking of success, let's uh, let's uh, kind of do a rundown of the uh, of your battle. So your first game is four army points. You're you're going against the horrible Yams Vikings who love to mess with you all the time, um, and uh, you know. But you're both going to be kind of you know saga dice starved unless you're like my opponent and you roll eight quadrillion rares. 
Um, and this was uh, Clash of Warlords, right? How did how did Terrain uh, end up being placed in that game? You remember? Um, vaguely. Um, so since he had Yams, I put out very little terrain since I have mounted. I did put a couple of um, smaller. I can't remember if it was a marsh or a um, ruins back in the far corner of mine to keep him from putting it out where he could basically block me from getting some things that I needed to get to, um, mainly his units. And then from that point, he really didn't put out a lot of nasty terrain against me. Um, my go-to piece of terrain is always a piece of woods where I can um, plant my levee archers so hopefully it makes it a little harder for someone else to at least get into melee and they have a chance to shoot out he was getting a few rares i got a couple as well but um, my best ability against something like him especially when in a four point game is um, there's a ability called hesitation which is an order's reaction where I get to choose an advanced ability from their board, and when they trigger that, I then get two dice to place on my board at the end of his turn with whichever face that I want. And luckily, it uses just a regular common dice. So I knew that he was going to use Frozen Wind or um, a couple others. So every turn, when he used those, I always had something on hesitation. So he was basically giving me two rares every single turn. That's pretty nice, you know, especially in a four-point game, you know, because in a six-point game, you should get like maybe one rare a turn. Uh, occasionally you'll get none, occasionally you'll get two. But to get two bonus ones in a four-point game, that's going to that's gonna be a, a good advantage. Um, now, you had your one unit of levy. Uh, did you take your war wagon in your four-point list? I did not. Um, it's a half a point to take the war wagon. Um, and for Clash, I knew that I needed to make... to do damage to him... And the war wagon basically is just a, a linebacker, but he, it really cannot do anything to an opponent because I cannot charge with it. Um, the only reason I would be able to do anything to my opponent is if they charge the wagon. Okay, so it's more of a more of a defensive kind of shield or punching bag than for him to wear himself out on than it is you're going to attack with it. So you you pared yourself down. Uh, what do you remember? What your other three points were with the uh, your four point list? So I pretty sure it was two points of Hearthguard, um, and one point of Warrior, and then of course the one point of Levy Archers. Um, the Hearthguard, in the first game, I did split it off into two four-man um, mounted Hearthguard. Um, I usually 
like to do three points of hearth guard and do two six man but since i just had four four points i split it off into two four man all right so how did you beat him then uh how what would you do was did you charge him did you shoot him to death i mean what what was the what was the key to the victory over the the yams vikings um i did do a lot of shooting with my uh crossbow which luckily crossbow i get that plus one and then there's also another ability on the Eastern Prince's um, board where if you, you are playing the Russians, which I usually do, I've never really gotten comfortable using javelin hearth guard, So, um, but there is a, the uh, death blow, which basically lets me activate my mounted hearth guard as if they have javelin. So I can then um, shoot, you know, I, I can get that long move, get within a medium of, let's say, his hearth guard, and then shoot them as if they have javelins. Hmm. Um, I usually, if I do that, I will then pair that up with crossfire, which luckily he gave me a rare. So um, that's usually, almost always where I put that that rare dice. Um, so it allows them with a rare, they would have to reroll four saves. Okay, um, so rare, crossfire being any of the three dice types and the target unit must reroll two or if you use a rare four, your successful saves uh, defend, or defense dice against your shooting. So that usually... Uh, ups the uh, ups the ante on your casualties you inflict. I take it. Yes, that that certainly helped, giving me that chance to to move long, shoot, and then hopefully, if I have my dice properly situated, get my earth guard back out of out of the way. If I haven't completely decimated his unit. So was the game a bloodbath? Did you uh, were there very few figures left, or was it one where you just caused more casualties than he did, and you kind of kept it, you know, pulled off a little bit at the end? How did how did it go? How did the end game go? Oh, it it was definitely a bloodbath. Um, by the end, both of us had very few figures left on the board. Um, it was just marginally a win on my point. Um, so you start off one and zero. That's good. Uh, meanwhile, I was starting off 0-1. Uh, I was playing the Moors, and I played another Moor player. He took all infantry, and I had my normal kind of, you know, javelin-armed hearth guard. And I thought for sure I had this one in the bag. And I started off really good, doing a lot of casualties. And then on turn two, I think it was, between turn two and turn three, he rolled nine rares uh, on his dice. It's one of those things he'd roll two rares, take one of them, put an activation pool, uh, roll again, get another rare, and he had his board set for like the next three or four turns. And and in a four army point game, you just couldn't. I just couldn't beat that. It just he was able to to get the edge. And I still had it at the end. I thought I had a chance. I, I was I counted the figures up or counted the points up real quickly. I should have been more careful. And it looked like I was ahead by like three points. And I was like, okay, well I'm not going to charge this turn. I'll do some shooting. And uh, I was first player, and so he turned around and did an all-out charge. But it was about even up on the casualties we did to each other, I thought. But it was enough for him to take the point, take the lead by two. And so I ended up messing that one up. I thought probably the game I thought I should have won more than any other. Uh, I lost the Moorish Civil War. 
Um, so, uh, on to five army points. A little bit more familiar territory, but still not your normal army. What'd you add into the mix on the five army points? On the five army point, I added an extra hearth guard unit. So, or a point of hearth guard. So I was able to have my two six-man hearth guards, um, then the one warrior, and then the crossbow. Okay, so the war wagon still hasn't made an appearance. He's your secret weapon for the final game. Um, so this game, maybe tell them a little about the scenario in this game. There's the uh, the GM Jeff. He uh, he created his own scenarios, and uh, um, so what was what was scenario number two? Scenario number two was a um, basically each of us had a wagon, um, not war wagon, but a wagon, and we had to get it clear to the other side of the board without them taking it. Wagon was a um, considered a hearth guard and also had, if I remember right, resilience two. I know it had at least one, but I'm pretty sure it was Resilience 2. Um, so it wasn't going to be easy to take. Um, so it all depended on whether you actually wanted to get your wagon across the board or if you just wanted to keep it safe and not let the opponent get to it. Um, in our case, I played against the Moors. The guy who just uh, rolled all the rares against me, yeah. <laughs> um, and we both started off leaving it close to the back of our boards. Um, now, it only moved a short, if I remember, short or medium, but it definitely did not move long, even though it was mounted. Yeah, I think it was medium, yeah. Um, so in order for it to get clear across the board, you had to get it started moving immediately on turn one um, and I think actually only one person in the entire tourney actually got his across the board everybody else played it safe and kept them back um, and it was one of those things where almost like old feud where if you get your your war wagon across the board and the opponent doesn't you win flat out no matter what the the score was um, so uh, you're playing the Moors, which when he played me, he was all infantry. Was he all infantry against you? He was all infantry again. Um, and his uh, luck with rares did not wear out after you, you did not use up all of his rares. <laughs> as much as I tried. Oh, my goodness. I've never seen so many rares in one game ever. It was... Even though he kept giving me two rares every turn with my lovely hesitation, um, it didn't come anywhere close to keeping up with the rares he was rolling just flat out. All right. So when I played him, what I tried to do was, you know, my typical thing, I run my two mounted hearth guard units up, I shoot at, the, uh, shoot at an enemy, try to take him out, you know, have my archers shoot the same opponent, and then I bring him back um out of their range and just i was just going to shoot him to death uh what was your strategy what were you going to do about all those moorish warrior infantry um my plan was with my hearth guard to just go in and basically wear him down um just hit him hard with the hearth guard and pull him back 
Um, again, used my death blow, my fake um, javelins a couple of times, um, especially since he was all foot, he couldn't chasing my hearth guard back. Um, it would be harder since I could move my hearth guard back a full long as opposed to just a medium. So again, that was try to shoot him. And then when I did go into Malie, um, my other favorite um, advanced ability is ad nauseum which is really complicated to explain to folks. Um, it's, I have had to read through the, you know, the silly um, Brother Galen, Brother Galen speaks. speaks. Yeah. Um, so you roll with a rare. After you roll your attack dice, anything that is, didn't score a hit for every four or better with a rare or six or better with just a common, you can re-roll anything that didn't hit. So if I have my six-man hearth guard, I'm rolling 12 dice, let's say six hits, six non-hits. Anything that is a four or better, I can roll one miss over again. So then if I hit on two of those, and I have dice that I haven't re-rolled yet, then I can re-roll those other two. The reason it's called ad nauseum is it just keeps on rolling until you've re-rolled everything at least once. Yeah, or maximum of once. Or maximum once. You know, if I'm hitting on a four or better, I have a much better chance of hitting as close to all 12 of those dice, making it harder for them to save. Hopefully. Yeah. So, uh, so for example, if, if you played with a common, which is almost probably easier to explain, and you rolled two sixes, you could re-roll two misses is what it is. And now let's say with that, with those the two re-rolls, you got another six. That means you can pick up one of your other misses because you can't pick up those same dice, you know, and roll another one. And if you rolled another six, you could pick up another dice that rolled on the, missed on your initial roll and keep trying. So that's why, thus the odd nauseum. Uh, it just becomes even more nauseating for your opponent if it's the four that you're shooting for to be a roll of dice. So yes. essentially, how many? How often do you end up rolling every sing, re-rolling every single miss? About 50-50 if you, if you use the rare or more often than that? Um, probably at least 50-50, maybe even more. Yeah. So I can see that really being a big punch when you're a six-man mounted hearth guard unit rolling 12 dice, and you're going to end up possibly getting 12 hits out of it, or pretty close to that. Yes, that's um, the hope. Uh, so this game, uh, did you just ride over them, shoot shoot them, and then ride over them? Is that how you were able to defeat the, the Moors? Primarily, well, our, that game actually ended up being my tie, if I remember. No, I thought no, your tie was no, the last guess, one. That's right, the tie was the last one. Um, it another it was another one where we both did a lot of damage to each other, but I managed to do more to his. So meanwhile, I was playing uh, the uh, the Yom's Viking dad. Uh, we, there was it was interesting. There was a father and son. The father was the guy I played my second round, and, and you would play in your third round. And he was playing Last Romans, I believe. 
Um, I was playing him, uh, and he was trying to get his, uh, his, his, his wagon across the table. I was very leery of that because he had a, uh, eight man mounted hearth guard unit, you know, so, and you know how unstoppable those things can be. Um, so I basically kept my war wagon or my, my supply wagon, I guess it was more than a yeah. war wagon hidden and I was just going to shoot the snot out of him as much as I could charge when I needed to and he realized quickly that my uh my two six-man mounted hearth guard units running up and shooting um he had to put the brakes on the wagon because um he had an escort there a um a levy archer unit a levy archer or a warrior archer one or the other and on our first turn um we shot the heck out of it um to keep it from shooting back at us, basically, because uh, the the last Romans have some seriously good shooting abilities, um, and then uh, then it became a real dicey affair. Um, he wanted to bring his his big hammer in his eighth guard hearth guard unit, eight man hearth guard unit, and uh, we kind of went back and forth. He did bring it in, um, charged at one of my six mans. Uh, six man was. Uh, beaten up pretty badly but then the other six man took him out and then really surprisingly he sent his warlord in and uh so i took his warlord out um but then he tried you know to sneak the wagon through on one turn you know he he had, i think he put all of his activation all of his dice because we were pretty far down by then um put all of his dice on on to move it because uh, it's a hurt it counts as a hearth guard um, and I sat there and counted it out and I realized that, Hey, wait a minute. Um, using two fatigue cancels a six inch move. Whereas if I use one fatigue each turn two two four inch moves are equal or greater. And he was planning on me using one every turn. And so when I, I waited and didn't do it until that he got the second fatigue, then he announced the action. And I, I stopped it. He, he realized at that point he wasn't going to get it through. Um, because he wasn't going to get off table in time. Um, that game was my victory. Uh, the first game was my loss. That game was my victory. So it was one and one going in. You were two and zero oh at that point going in, um, and somehow you end up facing the one and one dad who I had just played uh, in our final scenario. Uh, so talk to him about round three, the final scenario. There you are at the leader table, so to speak. 2-0 and o versus 1-1. One and one. Uh, No one else had that going on for them. I think it, the winner of your game was going to probably be the winner. But go ahead. Um, so, as you mentioned, it was last Romans. Um, so we're back into the six-point range. Yay. Um, something a little bit more familiar for me. And um, so at this point, I brought in the war wagon. I was still reluctant to bring in the war wagon, but um, the scenario this time was um, hostages, um, where each of us, each player, had to give up three figures from our army. Um, it could not be a levy, so it had to be either a hearth guard or warrior. And most people, of course, gave up warriors. They're not going to give up a hearth guard. Um, and the opponent then would place it with any one of their units and they had to basically make it through the game holding on to your hostage. hostage. Um, and of course you were trying to keep a hold of their hostage. If you beat that unit in melee, 
you could get your hostage back. If you shot that unit to death, you then killed the hostage because, you know, if you're shooting, who knows who's going to get hit with those arrows. Yeah, you couldn't eliminate it with shooting. You could you could take it down into one figure and then charge in and finish it off with but as long as you beat it in melee, you would get your hostage back. He's magically teleported back to your your camp or whatever. Um, and otherwise, this is this is kind of like the um, the the uh, supply wagon game that whoever had the most taken most of their hostages back won. So you could get if you got all three of yours back, and the opponent only got two back, you won no matter what the score was. Or if you got the same amount back, it was a tie, no matter what the score was. All right, so you're facing Last Romans. Uh, you're bringing in the war wagon to mystify and befuddle your opponents because they haven't played against it. Yes. What was your thought? How did you approach this battle? The war wagon, again, most people aren't familiar with it, um, is mounted, um, but it is considered a levy unit. Um, it has resilience two, which is a lovely thing. Um and it is an armor six in melee and four against shooting. Um, so it's a lot of people, they see that six in melee and it scares them. Um, the other nice thing, well, a couple of nice things about it is it has determination. So even though it gets me, I can use a dice for it or I get a dice for it, it also has determination. So it gives me an extra dice to work with. Um, and it has lure of avarice. Um, the lure of avarice is something that befuddles a lot of my opponents, where if you have the ability to charge a unit and you could hit either the unit that you want to hit or the war wagon, you have to go after the war wagon. So if I've got a levy unit sitting right next to me and in your move you can hit either, you have to go against the war wagon. So it scares a lot of folks where they won't do anything to it um, and they avoid it like all, at all costs. So of course that was a perfectly good reason to put one of his um, hostages in my war wagon. Um, when I put my war wagon out, I keep three um, female warrior. I have a couple points for my Viking unit or Viking armor, a couple units of uh, female warriors. And so I keep uh, three female warriors in my wagon. And as I set it down on the table, I open the lid and tell all of my opponents I have three very pissed off women who are <laughs> waiting to beat the crap out of anybody who comes near it. So his um, lovely little uh, guy went in with my angry women and um, started off. The other two units, or the other two of his um, hostages, I put one on my very back corner in a along with a, um, I think I put a half a point of levy in a um, ruins in the very far back corner. That way I could shoot at anybody coming close to me. Um, and then the other unit was with a, or the other guy was with one of my um, 
warrior units. Since the war wagon takes a half a point, usually what I do with the other half a point is make a 12-man warrior unit, uh, basically a super warrior um, unit. And so I just shoved his, um, his guy in with my big warrior unit and tried to hold back, keeping him. All right, so you got you got your hostages in pretty defend, defensible uh, places. You got one in a levy unit in ruins. You got one inside the war wagon with the pissed off women, and then you got one in the big warrior unit, which of course is going to take some take some doing to take a twelve man unit down. So, what was the plan? How are you going to get your hostages back? Um, trying to get my hostages back uh, was primarily for the two big hearth guard units, my two six-man hearth guard units. I was going to go out and try and uh, grab them back. He had put um, hit, hit my hostages um, in also very good defensible um, spots. One was in a marsh. Um, one was in a uh, rocky ground. So, of course, my mounted units do not like either of those. Mm-hmm. And the other, and both of those were back on corners of the, his corners of the board. And the other was with a large hearth guard unit. So my plan, hopefully, was to get the one with that hearth guard unit. All right, so you were shooting for win, get one of yours back and keep all three of yours then. So how did it turn out? What, uh, what happened? He was definitely more... Uh, offensive than I was and so I tried to make a few runs at him um, but he did manage to get that um, the levy the half point have levy unit he got his guy back from there it was a slug fest um, another one where there were very few units left on the um, on the board when we were done with his hearth guard, his bow, and my bow and my hearth guard, my fake javelin um, hearth guard, we took each other down pretty hard. Um, it ended up where he brought his, just like you, he brought his war alert out trying to take out my one of my hearth guard units after he'd gotten not quite sure why he brought his warlord out after he already had one of my hostages, uh, but he brought him out far enough where I was able to shoot him down, and then I managed to get in the very last turn of and the very last roll. I managed to get my hostage back out of his um, big hearth guard unit. So. It was uh, tit for tat. Um, I, having gotten his one and he had gotten my one, it ended up a tie, even though I got his warlord and he did not get mine. All right. So, um, yeah, this one was a straight up tie or win or loss, depending on the hostages. So, um, you know, so even though the, 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 the massacre points may say a different story, uh, you know, it, it would end up being a tie. And so Jenny ending up uh, 2-0-1, and she was, the, uh, she was the winner of the tournament. Uh, so congratulations, Jenny, on the tournament. Thank you very much. 
of the three scenarios that you play, Jenny, the the, the four point uh, Clash of Warlords, the five point Supply Wagon, or the six point Hostage scenario, which which scenario did you enjoy the most? I liked the Hostage. Um, if it could be tweaked. Of the three, I that's probably the one that I liked the most. Um, would I play it again as we played it this time? Probably not. If it could be tweaked a little bit, yeah, it could be a very fun scenario. Yeah, I like the idea of the hostages. First of all, though, the one thing I would change immediately in that is those aren't guys from your army. Those are important political leaders they've come and kidnapped, you know, from your town or whatever. Uh, because imagine if you're an all Hearthguard force, you got to give up three Hearthguard. The other guy only has to give up three warriors. Uh, or even more, and I should have asked him this, because a couple times during the, during the tournament I would ask him, well, what about this in his scenario? Because nothing was written down. It was all verbally told us. And then we would ask him, you know, he'd average about a half dozen questions throughout the game from the players. And I thought of this one afterwards. What if you're the six-point Anglo-Saxon levy list and you can't provide, you have nothing but levy? Are you going to force them to take a unit of warriors, you know, which they didn't put in their list uh, or, you know, to, to do it? I mean, it's just there's some, there's some issues on it. Um, I don't have a problem with the guys um, – you know, like being given a horse and immediately they gallop back to your camp, the, that. But um, I think that the each hostage you get back should be worth a certain number of points. Um, I always like massacre points in my scenarios for tournaments. So maybe like four points per hostage. So if you get all three of your back, you're going to get 12 points. and the other guy gets none, you're going to win. Almost assuredly you're going to win. Um, but it wasn't fair, I thought, in the end that the – the Yams Viking player and I tied. We each gotten two of our hostages back, but he killed like way more. I mean, I had very few figures left on the table, and he had most of his army left, or a big chunk of his army left. You know, but yeah, we tied, I, and I do, that just seems wrong to me. I have a I have a real problem with 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 uh, saga scenarios where one side is devastated but it wins, and the other side is mostly still there and it loses. I'm just like that doesn't look right, that doesn't feel right, or anything. It was interesting. It was certainly interesting. It was, you know, three brand new opponents, never played any of them. Most of them tended to look like, I think most of them were from like the Virginia area. It wasn't a very well advertised tournament. Uh, they didn't put anything out on Discord. They didn't put anything out on Facebook. And so thus we only had six players. He did a good job uh, handling the matchups and everything. Um, and I honestly think that he, the, of the players who were not 2-0, he picked the best one to go up against you. So let's go. Let's talk a little bit more about your Eastern Princess Army because a lot of people probably have not seen that played or played against it. Um, what do you think the main strengths of this faction are? Why? Why I've noticed that you playing it, you have a lot higher winning percentage than you do when you play your Vikings. Um, so what? What do you think the main strengths of this uh, this army are? Well, the main reason I decided to play them is um, the Mounted Hearthguard. Um, until then, all I'd ever played were foot armies, and after playing some scenarios where, you know, it was, you had to get to it first, and an all-foot army doesn't move as fast, obviously, um, I decided to try with the mounted, and I, I like the mounted hearthguard, uh, just because I can 
get somewhere fast and hopefully get back away before they can do extra damage to me. And quite honestly, the, the war wagon um, as a surprise to folks is probably my other strength. Um, I've noticed where if I've played somebody who has never played against a war wagon before, I have a better chance of winning. Once people have played the war against the war wagon, um, they know it's Achilles' heel, and I tend not to play the wagon against those people ever again. All right, so it's kind of a kind of a one-shot wonder, some in some respects, but also a very mystical opponent. They don't really know how to they know how to how to act against it. So what? Let's say it's you've, you've talked somebody and somebody says, I'm going to go out and play the Eastern Princes. I'm going to take my Vikings and some some medieval-looking figures. I'm going to cobble this together. What would be the main challenges for you or for any Eastern Princess player? What's the hardest thing uh, playing this army? The hardest thing playing this army is that there is no shooting defense on this board anywhere at all. Um, there's the one shooting ability, but other than that, there is no shooting defense. So again, with those mounted hearth guard, there's really not a lot to help save you against a big shooty army. Okay, that's definitely, uh, especially with as as many uh, shooty armies as there are out there. That's that's a definite weakness on that. That's something you have to figure out how to. How to counteract with uh, on the tabletop and with terrain and everything. Um, so over the over the months and uh, of playing this this army, um, what do you like most about the Eastern Princess? Why do you why do you like it? Why is it your go to faction? Um, it's it's just fun. I'm still learning the board, believe it or not, after playing it for over probably close to two years now. Um, it's just. Knowing how to play it against different opponents, learning how to, especially, you know, against shooty armies, how do I protect my hearth guard? Do I go with more foot warrior? Do I go with more bow to counteract their shooty? The crossbow is a nice plus one. Learning how to tweak it against different kinds of armies. Um, I'm still learning. There, I've had many a route where someone has just completely cleaned my board off and they still have three quarters of their army left. So it's just, I like learning. Yeah, and looking over your board, uh, there's a good variety of stuff on there. There's an orders ability, there's two orders reactions, there's an activation reaction, there's activations, there's melee, there's a shooting. So there is a lot of stuff to play with. you know, people have probably heard me say it before, but um, like when I played the Carolingian list and of your eight Saga Dice, three of them are tied up in Perlium, you only have those five Saga Dice and you tend to do the same things over and over again. And it just didn't seem to be as fun. And there is something to be said for a list that has like a toolkit. It's like, okay, which of these abilities is going to be best against this army? Uh, which ones I'm probably not going to use as much? Um so yeah, so I definitely I definitely agree with you on that. So talking about the advanced abilities, um, what are the advanced abilities on your board you use regularly, regularly with the Eastern Princes? Um, definitely ad nauseum and crossfire. Um, those are 
the two that, along with hesitation, because if I'm playing against somebody who I know that they're going to play the same ability over and over again, um, hesitation is one of the first places I put my comment. Just like in Viking, if I'm playing against a shooty army, um, even though it takes two, um, two dice, I'm putting it on Odin so I can exhaust them. My first thing is hesitation. Once I've figured out, after the first round where I know exactly where they're going to be putting their dice, hesitation is always my first place. So that always gets that common. And, um, and I'd agree with that because there are some armies that have a go-to bore ability that they use every single time. Like the Carolingians, they have Ardor, you know, that activate the three units um, for a move or a shoot that doesn't cause fatigue. They're playing that every single turn. So you're guaranteed putting that common or that uncommon on hesitation as an Eastern Princess player that you are getting two, two Saga dice to put wherever, you, however you want on your board the next turn. Yep. Um, and then Ad Nauseam, we talked about before, that's the one that makes the opponent nauseous in melee, where you keep mm -hmm. rolling your dice and rolling your dice and rolling your dice and you know, putting out lots of hits. And then Crossfire, where you usually put your... Uh, your your rare where it forces them to re-roll successful shooting saves. Right. Um, those are those are three big ones. Any others that you use a lot? Uh, um, the other one, one of the others that I use um, pretty regularly is faint. Um, if I remember to use it, my problem is <laughs> I put the dice there and then you know I fail to use it. Uh, where um, after the enemy activates to move, I can move my mounted to move. So I can choose one unit of mounted to move. That is probably one of my favorite ones, but I so seldom, I'd say probably 30% chance of me remembering to use it. <laughs> um, that uncommon is there probably half the game, and sometimes I remember to use it and sometimes I don't. Um, but I like it as a as an ability. Okay. Well, the, I, can, I can see just one of those activation reactions where it lets mounted pull back. You know, let's say that you're playing the Vikings and you were able to pull back enough that you weren't within a medium... So they got to trundle that medium forward, then you immediately play faint and you go back a full long and suddenly they don't have you anymore. Right. Um, there is a problem with it in the sense that it, it says trigger after an enemy unit activ activates to move. But if they charge you, there's nothing you can I do can't... about it. Or shoot you, there's nothing you can do about it. Right. So, so it's, not, it's not like the Welsh board, which has three activation reactions where... You know, they go, okay, you're doing something. Let me pull out my Swiss Army knife and say, okay, yeah, we're gonna do the, we're gonna do the evade this turn, or we're gonna do the our land this turn. So, so, but yeah, so, but yeah, there are times where that's really gonna save you. Yeah. What else? What else do you like on this um, board? I do like Death Blow. Um, I, the my problem with that. Well, let me explain what it is. So, for a mounted unit, um, if your unit is not armed with javelins, activate it to make a shooting attack with a range of medium. So basically I get to turn one of my non-javelin mounted units into a javelin mounted unit. A uh, couple of, because I played the Russians, if it was a Lithuanian version, which have javelins, then I would give them a 
charge distance of a long and short. But I've again I've I've tried the Lithuanians and I've just never really liked them, so I stick with the Russian version of the princes. Um, the problem with Death Blow is um, it does not it is not um, a fatigue free shot. Fatigue free shot. Yeah. So it's not a true javelin. I've moved, now I get a free shot. Right. It's it, you, it doesn't activate you to move, so you already have to be within six inches of somebody when you uh, trigger it. But it is on your turn, so you can move up. It's just you're gonna now you're going to have a fatigue after you shot them. But the where I can see it really be useful is, is the surprise factor, because as you build your army, not counting your your war wagons, improvised pro, you know, projectile weapons, you have one shooty weapon. So if you stick your crossbowman on one flank and he runs all his cavalry to the other flank, well, he may forget that those that six-man hearthguard unit you have, or one of your two six-man amount of hearthguard units you have, can turn into javelins on a dime and suddenly go up, throw six dice, plus if you throw a combat bonus in it or something like that, you could potentially throw a lot of dice on them when somebody thought he was free from getting shot at. So it's, yeah, I could see that being a useful ability. Yeah, and again, I would pair that with the crossfire, where they then have to re-roll those uh, saves. So mm-hmm. if I'm shooting against a you know a mounted unit... Right, yeah, so that even if they do save some of those, you're going to make them re-roll, which should be, you know, if, if you pick up a dice and you save on four, five, or six, and you save once, the next time you pick it up by averages, you should fail with that dice. (laughs) So, yeah. Um, All right, any others that you really, really like that see regular use? I wouldn't say regular use, but my other two favorites, if I can, um, with my big 12-man warrior unit, which is usually what I take when I have the war wagon, is Brothers in Arms. So if we get into melee, um, if my unit contains more figures than the enemy, I get to gain a defense dice for each figure I outnumber them by. So if, let's say, a four-man hearthguard unit comes in to take out my, or even an eight-man warrior unit comes in and tries to take out my um, 12-man, or if it's even down to 10, I'm getting two extra defense dice. So when I have that big foot unit, I try to keep that common there. That could be really big, especially if it's like a four-man hearthguard unit charging your 12-man, or you doing the other thing around where yeah. you go ahead and charge them. Uh, you're going to be throwing 12 dice. They may be hearthguard in your foot or your warrior, but... But you're going to get eight defensive dice. They're doing nothing to you. Right. You know, and, if, and if it's them charging you and you also close ranks, which you really don't have to, but you close ranks, you're getting eight defensive dice. And, <laughs> and, saving, and saving on fours. But yeah. I don't think – I would only save that for yeah. the uber charge of the Yams Vikings or some of those mm. that can accumulate up to like 20 dice or whatever. It has helped. Um, and the other one that I use on a semi-regular basis, if I can, on um, is Galvanized, uh, which is an Order's ability. It I couldn't use it on the Yams Vikings at all because they keep using their own, um, they keep using fatigue. Um, they can change their own with their fatigue, mm-hmm. rather. Uh, but if the enemy warband has three or more fatigues, 
I can remove a fatigue from one or two of my units. Um, that helps keep my uh, war wagon alive. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's true because it has resilience. It has resilience too. So I can, if they come in and they've shot at it, which is pretty much the easy, best way to try and take out, you know, it's mounted, so it's only a four armor against shooting. Um, so they've put two or three fatigues on it one turn. Uh, the next turn, if they've also got at least three fatigues, I'm going to put a dice on there if I can afford it. Um, that way I can use galvanized to take one of those off and then, or actually first I will rest it using its determination and then I'll take um, galvanized to remove another one. Right, so it's one of those um, abilities that lets you take two fatigue off over the course of the turn if you take one off of uh, one with galvanized and one with resting because it doesn't say rested, it says take a fatigue, remove a fatigue off. So that's always good to have those abilities uh, when you can get an extra fatigue off, Um, especially to keep your war wagon alive or your general alive or, you know, your hearth guard have come running back, you know, and now you want to use them again, but, you know, on the next turn, but you need to clear off two fatigue. Yeah, so it's definitely a good one. Uh, Are there any abilities you rarely use on this board that you just kind of think are or dogs, or you just haven't figured out how to use them? Um, basically, the whole right column. Okay. Um, I've never used uh, Droog, or Drug. I'm assuming it's probably Droog, um, where, you know, I would have to have another friendly um, unit of Hearth Guards or my Warlord within a medium, and then I would gain as many dice as many dice as twice the number of figures in that unit, um, which can be attack or defense dice, but after the melee, the chosen unit suffers one casualty and one fatigue. I'm always, always reluctant to just automatically give up a a figure in a unit. Um, The only time I think I have ever used that was against a warlord where um, I had happened to have my other uh, hearthguard unit close enough, so I was able to um, basically use those four extra dice to try and take out that hearth. That you warlord. could you could really rack up some some dice on that though. So let's say you take your your first six man unit up. Uh, next to the the big target, somebody's got an eight man hearth guard unit, and you want to kill it. Uh, you do death blow. Uh, you shoot with them, uh, so you cause some casualties on it. Then you bring up your other six man hearth guard unit. Uh, you play Droog on um on the shooty unit because that's you're playing. You're actually kind of playing it on the supporting unit. Um, so you're gonna get six more or twice the number of dice you're going to get 12 dice your choice of whether they're they're attack defense or a combination and so your 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 unit just doubled just hit its max uh dice you know bump um in just this one ability so potentially it can but then again you suddenly now have a fatigue on each of your two hearth guard units and your hearth guard suffered a casualty so but 24 dice is nothing to sneeze at. Oh, yeah. If it's something that I feel, you know, that unit's got got, got to go, 
then yeah, that's something I probably would would use. I've just never found the occasion where I had both of my mounted hearth guard that close enough to actually effectively use it. Right. And then the next one in that right-hand column, uh, Lord of the East, a melee thing for your hearth guard. Yeah, a lot of stuff is just for hearth guard or heroes or whatever here. Yeah. Um, gain resilience one during this melee or resilience two if you used a rare. You know, it's nice, but it also probably means that you know you're going to be exhausted if they if they're a tough unit and they're going to put some casualties on you um and you don't have the the thing to sweep the fatigue at the end of your turn like some of these abilities do and then timorous advance orders or orders reaction says choose an enemy unit more than short away from an enemy hero uh so it's gonna be your warlord uh until the end of the turn this unit counts as a mercenary unit suffers fatigue at the start of each melee in which is engaged wow okay that's you're right that and that's a two dice ability that's two commons right it's two commons and i mean i've considered using it a couple of times but when i did i was a little dice starved Mm -hmm. i mean making the other person's unit technically a mercenary keeps them from using any advanced right abilities which I think is the biggest part about that, mm-hmm. where, okay, so you can't, you know, pile up three advanced um, abilities and try and use them all on me. If I use that first, you, can, you can't use any of those advanced abilities. And by the way, at the end of this, you take an extra fatigue. If you know somebody's got this, ridiculous combination of things a la the yams vikings they were going to get 20 attack dice you know i guess you could play that on orders reaction of course you could turn around and use a different unit than you'd think but mm-hmm. uh but let's say it's the only one within range of your units uh yeah i could see maybe but boy you're right that's a very iffy kind of situation yeah. there's a whole lot of uh a whole lot of words in there too <laughs> so all right. Well, I understand why those are not your favorites um, that you use. So is there like a knockout blow combination? Is ad nauseum your, your main knockout blow or combination of abilities you use? Or I would say the, my three, the three that I use in conjunction more often than not would be death blow to be able to shoot with my hearth guard with crossfire to make them re-roll their saves and then move in with at um in melee with ad nauseum okay so soften them up with the crossfire uh from the unexpected shooters the hearth guard shooters and then finish them off with an ad nauseum charge that sounds like it'd be pretty effective kind of like what i was talking about with a possible way to use droog same combination of units um so um Talking about your Eastern Princes, do you remember what manufacturer your figures were? Because the Eastern Princes are like the Kievian Rus. The, the Rus are the, the Vikings out east, so to speak. The the ones who, who you know, the Swedes who went out there, basically. Um, do you remember what, what, your manu- what manufacturer your figures are? Most of them are um, Gripping Beast, but they are not the Eastern Princes box that they have out now because I started 
working on them before, right, well, basically as soon as the book came out, I started working on them, and they didn't have that box set yet. Oh, uh, okay. So we kind of cobbled some things together um, that look close enough to what Eastern Princes should be. Um, exactly what combination they were, I couldn't tell you, but I know that most of them were um, Most of them are grouping beats, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so do you have, what are your other armies that you own? I think uh, I think you mentioned that earlier, but go ahead and talk about that. Um, I have Vikings. Um, I have a lot of Vikings. <laughs> uh, once I started uh, playing them, I decided that, of course, I'm a woman, I need the shield maidens. So I went, asked some friends if they had any female figures that I could use for shield maidens. And suddenly I had a plethora of female units. So I have, I think I counted out about 11 points of Vikings. <laughs> um, so I have a lot of Hearthguard, of course, I have to have the um, Berserkers because you can't have a Viking army without Berserkers. Um, I've got my Shield Maidens, then I've got probably another two points of female warriors along with another at least three points of male warriors. So I can probably field any version of Vikings anybody can think of. Right, and the, all the other armies that are Viking-ish, like the Norse Gales and the uh, Anglo-Danes and stuff like that, you can use them too. Uh, or, heaven forbid, the Yams Vikings too. <laughs> the female Yams Vikings. The female Yams Vikings. Yeah. Sooner or later, out. we need to get you a Lagertha figure so you could you can have your warlord you know, be Lagertha too, and you can do your all-female one. Mm. Um, so what's next? What are you working on now for Saga? What's your next project? Well, my next project has been and continues to be um, <laughs> some Iberians. He's laughing because it's been now a year since I bought the uh, the figures at last Historicon, not just this one here last month. Uh, I started on them and I quickly lost interest with cleaning Flash and trying to attach um, weapons and shields. So they sat down on my workbench for a long time. Um, so I started back up again right before Historicon, shaming myself that you know they couldn't be unfinished for a full year, um, but they are still unfinished on my workbench to this day. So, and I even bought more figures to go with them at Historicon this year. Yeah. So, so the original, the genesis of her um, her Iberians was a uh, four point gripping beast boxed army that i had purchased and she was she was um last historicon not the, not the one just passed but the one before we were walking through the uh, badger games booth and she's like i want an i want an ancient army i want to get one for either hannibal or i don't even think alexander was out at that point and i'm like well i said iberians are fun i mean that's that's what i, I mean i hadn't you know i hadn't painted the army yet but you know reading the reports and listening to people and so she decided to go ahead and uh, start buying stuff. I'm like, well, I'll give you this four-point, you know, this four-point boxed army. It's far enough down on my list of things to paint. And so she has bought the extra figures for it uh, to flesh it out to, to six points. And then 
went back to the Badger Games booth again this year and picked up some more for it. But I can I can uh, I can attest that they are mostly put together down there. They're they're uh, they mostly have their weapons and their shields and uh, yeah. So hopefully uh, within a few months they're they're all done and painted up. We have a very very fast painter. Uh, Ted Bender is a Michigan area guy who paints armies in the blink of an eye. I think he has, uh, I think the, his wife Heidi collects cats basically. And I think the cats get up at night and uh, I'll sit there and paint miniatures for Ted while he's sleeping. And you know, he'll get an army done in a week. So, so who knows, maybe uh, next time I interview, you're talking about your tournament victory with the Iberians. <laughs> Ooh, that would be interesting. Yeah. So, all right. Well, uh, thank you for uh, giving us a rundown on Historicon. Uh, congratulations on your first uh, Saga tournament victory. Thank you. Anything else you want to talk about? Mm, nothing that I can think of right now. All right. Well, so for those of you who don't know, uh, I've been kind of silent on uh, on here for a while. Um, we actually have a couple tournaments coming up in this area. Um, for Advance the Colors, the uh, Springfield, Ohio, October 13th, 14th, um, in addition to the Saturday Age of Malie tournament, which I run uh, normally, I decided to add in a Friday Age of Ancients tournament. So if you're listening out there and you want to do an Age of Ancients, that's Friday. Uh, Saturday is Age of Malie. I added in the second day of Saga for those who might be a little further outside the Ohio area. Uh, and say, I don't know if I want to drive that far for one tournament. But hey, now you got two days of Saga. Uh, and then also there's one more Um in September 1516, uh, Rusty from the Firelands Game Group, uh, who I interviewed on here before, um, they are running a, uh, a tournament for Age of Vikings and Age of Invasions. Um, four games, one game on Friday, three games on Saturday. So if you want to get some Saga in, come on up to Saga, Ohio Territory, and we will uh, be more than happy to provide you with some. And then I think there's one in Fort Wayne in Indiana, uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana in November. So we got all kinds of saga going on. So uh, come on out to uh, Ohio area. And uh, Jenny, you might even get to play in a couple of those, right? Yeah, unfortunately, at ATC, um, I don't get to play in tournaments and because I am the person at the registration desk. So if you do come to ATC, I can pretty much guarantee you will see me. Um, just probably not against across the game board. Yep, yep. But she, she, we're planning on going up to uh, the Port Clinton, Ohio, uh, September Saga tournament, uh, and ostensibly we're planning on going over in November too for Fort Wayne. I know we've mentioned it. Uh, we haven't made the exact plans for that or anything yet. No hotels purchased yet. But uh, all right. Well, thanks again, and uh, I guess. Uh, we will uh, we'll be talking Saga again here soon. Hopefully it won't be three months before the next one, eh? Hopefully.